Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories, and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for joining with me here today as we talk about the story that defines the journey. You know, often it is the story that we tell ourselves, the things that we've learned, the stories that we've been through that define the journey that we're on, the message that we give to ourselves, the information that we have, all of those kind of things help define the direction that we're going. And sometimes we find that the journey, sometimes the literal journey, vacation or the trip of our life, either way, um, aren't exactly the journey that we want to be on. Other times we find in deeper ways that the journey of our entire lives, the who that we are, is something that is not the journey we want to take. Um, And other times it really just boils down to what is the story you're telling yourself? In fact, I would even go so far as to say all of it boils down to what is the story that you tell yourself? What are those things that you say in your mind to yourself that are what defines how you show up in the world? How do you travel through this world, show up in this life, make the difference that only you can make? What is the basis for that? And what I know to be true more than anything else is that it's that story that defines your journey. It's that message that you give to yourself. It's the information that you've been given, that you've taken in, and that you then embrace that define the direction of your life. It is the information that you get from others. Um, and it can be just as simple, again, like I said, as, as a trip that you take and as advanced as the entire journey of your whole life. But it starts with a really well-written, in your own head at least, better yet on paper, story about what you want. It's hard to even just take a basic trip without a map, without an understanding of this is what I want to do, this is how I relax, this is what would be fun, this is what would be nice for me. It's that basic information that then begins to define the story. You know, nobody goes on a vacation and says, I want to have the worst vacation ever and paints a story for themselves of just how horrible the vacation's going to be. We all think and dream of the beautiful, wonderful beach that we're sitting on, sipping Mai Tais or whatever, and having a great, great time on our vacation. See, it's the story that defines the journey. The same thing becomes true in the story of your life, in the journey of your life, is as you define that, as you clarify that in your own mind, 
then you are defining and clarifying the journey that is your life. So we're going to look at both of those. We're going to look at just some basic travel kind of things, as well as some more esoteric life things, and talk today about the story that defines the journey here on Thriving Entrepreneur. With that said, let's jump right in. Join me in welcoming Douglas L. Hey, Douglas, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. So good to have you here with us. Start us off by telling us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Oh, um, well, my day job is an attorney, but my passion is writing books about science and God. And uh, I've written two nonfiction books, and now I've written a novel that I'm very excited about. I love that. Your latest book called Rise Above that talks about how science can prove the existence of God. Tell us a little bit first about what inspired the book and what your hopes are for it. Sure. I'm hoping it will change people's lives. I, uh, you know, I used to be an atheist and then when my, uh, my wife dragged me to church to get my son baptized. I, uh, I felt there was something there, but you know, I was at MIT uh, graduate, double major math physics. So I told myself there had to be some scientific evidence. And uh, I've been looking for decades and I've just been amazed what I find. Um, and so I've written two nonfiction books on that, one called Counting the God, fairly serious. I published in 2014 with a lecture opening at MIT. And then a, um, a book aimed at younger readers um, called Proofs of God, which we're just going to re-release in a graphic novel in a few weeks. But um, uh, I hooked up um, with Steve Eggleston and uh, told him I wanted to redo my first book. And he said, you know, maybe if you could put this in a fictional form, put a story, you know, people will read it because a lot of non a lot of people don't even want to read nonfiction books, you know, and you got to make it an interesting story. So I spent about two years doing that. Um, I just find, again, the scientific evidence for our finely tuned universe and the design and all of life uh, to be overwhelming. And I just want to share that that joy. Um, and it's a kind of a Christmas setting, so it's appropriate. That's absolutely awesome. So, of course, a person has to get a book to learn all of the reasons. Um, but give us one of the best reasons as a MIT graduate that you know or you have proof that there is a God. Well, the number one reason is the complexity in biology. Steve, I mean, biological systems are so complex. I mean, they're built off a code called DNA, which we still don't know how it works. There's layers and layers of code in there. And we know that that's been proven by over 400 scientists, that there's multiple levels of code in the human DNA. There's no other example of working code um, that's ever come about by chance. There's no example of technology that's ever arisen by chance. You know, we have this theory from 150 years ago that species magic prove. Um, and we know all the advanced computer simulations show it's false. I mean, human beings have 100 errors uh, each generation. And, you know, even if you believe Darwin's uh, uh, 
theory that you know natural selection will make some correction. It only gets one choice out of a hundred errors. It can't fix the errors. We're going downhill. So it all had to start with just an amazing technology. Uh, clearly, human beings are designed. Oh, gosh, so many directions we can take the conversation. So do we talk about the fact that in spite of all of the fallacies to evolution, Darwin was a Christian his entire life? Or do we talk about, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, what is your favorite part of talking on this subject to people who are really adamantly against it? You know, I, uh, I just ask him to look at the evidence. There's no evidence for why anything is other than God. Um, you know, this multiverse, uh, and that book gets into this a little bit. Um, uh, you know, it's nonsense that doesn't work. Uh, you still have to have a beginning, and science can't tell you why there is something rather than nothing. Science has absolutely no answer to that question. But I, I do try to do more than that in the book. I try to uh, basically defend the accuracy of the entire literal word of the Bible. I love that. I assume that you've probably also read Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Have you ever read those books? No. Oh, well, sometime later when we're not in an interview, we'll talk about those too. Okay. I, I love it. So MIT graduate, you know, meaning that you believe in equations, you know, two plus two Absolutely. equals four, not two plus two equals, you know, something. <laughs> um, and then we get into all of these leaps of faith, really. Uh, what do you say to the people who have literally made a leap of faith into something that has no provable facts behind it? I ask him, you know, and that's what I consider to be Darwinian theory. There are no facts behind it. Um, if you look at it closely and I, so I ask people who are skeptical about God to be skeptical of their own skepticism, you know, really look at the facts the amazing discoveries, the complexity of the human brain with more processing powers, more processing units than uh, all computers on Earth combined. And, uh, you know, as many connections as stars in a thousand galaxies, you know, and it all it all starts up with a single cell and a human baby. I mean, <laughs> it's all there if you want to look and a lot of people won't look and that's fine. But what I I needed was. Uh, a story, and I think I found a good one, of uh, uh, a family searching for faith. Uh, starts off with a very rich man about to die and uh, decides he's, he has a moment with God and he's going to give his money to God. And the kids, the kids come home furious to try to talk him out of it. I love that. Uh... Yeah, that sounds too much like children, I think. <laughs> yeah. So throughout the course of the book, um, let's say a person approaches it and they don't believe in God at all, but they want to read it as a good story. What kind of a journey can they go through from just, you know, a good story to read kind of a standpoint? I think it's a pretty easy read. I mean, a friend of mine just sort of described it as a beach read. I kind of throw in a little humor and some believable characters. It's not some, you know, some sort of uh, difficult to understand book. Uh, the characters are very real. And, 
you know, I think anyone who reads the book is going to, I'm just trying to open eyes so they'll read other books and, uh, you know, just be open to faith. Um, and a lot of people are closed and you can't reach those people, but there's so much wonder, so much reason for hope and joy in the world. I feel sorry for people who shut it out. You know, I mean, uh, I feel sorry for the people I know who say they're confirmed atheists. They may be great people, but they have they have no hope. Mm. Yeah, that's for sure. So give us some insight uh, into how we can really research, explore and discover the things that we're convinced even though we may not necessarily be right, regardless, Christian, atheist, whatever, how do we go through the process of really logically finding truth? Well, that's a great question. You know, I think you have to look at all the evidence. You come in with your mind made up, as a lot of people do. Um, you not a way to search for truth. To search for truth, you have to look at everything and make up your own mind. I think this book will help people who are open to that make up their mind and search for truth. You you have to put in the effort. And I think, I, like I said, I've done it in a fun way. It's kind of a beach novel. It's a pretty easy read. And I think anybody who reads it is going to be pretty astonished. There's a lot of facts in there. I even put uh, notes in it, which I know people don't put in novel, but just, you know, on different points, if you want to read, here's here's the article you read or the book you read oh i love that sounds like a lot of fun uh, maybe even a good way to spend christmas maybe oh i love that so uh, you know you double measured math and physics um you know not like any one of them by themselves wouldn't have been enough <laughs> and then mit on top of that um but let's talk a little bit we talked about mathematic but if I understand correctly, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, one of the very first fundamental principles of physics is everything is moving from structure to unstructure or from, you know, correct. to chaos, right? Okay, good. I yes. want to make sure. Um, and so I guess outside of God or an external source, how do people in any way define that the world could be getting better with that underlying scientific principle, that one I've never been able to wrap my head around. Yeah, I mean, you put your finger on a really key point, which also in the book, I mean, the law you referred to, it's probably the most fundamental law in physics, which is everything decays, everything goes downhill. You know, technically the second law of thermodynamics. And, you know, and then we have this imagined exception for living creatures called Darwinian theory that species magically improve. Um, and whatever they see, they say, well, that's an example. Um, it's never been observed. It's been shown mathematically by countless computer simulations. It doesn't work. And it's only because we, we live in such a strange world that the truth's not out, you know, but you just, how, how does all the order and beauty in the world exist? given the fundamental law of physics that everything decays and rots. Clearly it had to start in a pretty nice place. I think the balance to it, um, and forgive me for being a third generation minister, those of you that didn't know, <laughs> but um, I love how David says, I will praise you because I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I yes. mean, 
why not embrace that? I guess would be my right. question for Christmas for everybody. Right. Why not embrace um, hope and, you know, that we were made for a purpose. The human beings were designed. That's what the scientific evidence shows. It's not what our culture will tell you, um, but it's, it's, it's actually, the point of the book is that science in my view, demands that a rational person believe in God. There is no other legitimate scientific conclusion. I love that. Absolutely. So tell yeah, us I'm making little... the book sound too technical. I mean, I, yeah. it's, there's a lot of fun in it, but uh, I'm sorry. I can't help being technical. Like I said, I'm an MIT math and physics guy. Well, my fault. I'm a big geek. And so I was kind of taking you down that road too. Let's try to go for the people that don't want to geek out on math and physics. Um, tell us a little bit more of, of the story. What is the journey like for this man who is embracing faith that late in his life? It's uh it's a strange journey, Steve. He, um, he finds out uh, two days before Christmas, he has pancreatic cancer, stage four. He's going to die in a few days. He's a multi-billionaire. And um, driving home, uh, he's thinking of committing suicide with a dose of the pain pills. And he has a vision of God. And, um, and from then, he's sort, trying to sort it out. So, you know. He gets home and the wife says, well, the kids better come. This is the last Christmas. And, um, you know, he tells them he's going to give his money away. They try to fight him. And uh, it's a strange bunch of kids. His uh, oldest daughter is a math teacher at, at uh, MIT, married to a Harvard physics professor. He, uh, his oldest son is a uh, Stanford uh, business grad. Uh who's an entrepreneur and his youngest son is a criminal and a drug addict, <laughs> you know, so it's a typical, uh, upper middle-class family. And, uh, uh, uh the, the top two try and talk him out of it. And, uh, but the, uh, the youngest son brings his girlfriend, who's a, uh, a black, uh, hospital agency and, uh, of strong faith. And so, and who, fights with the uh, Cambridge professors. It's uh, so it's uh, there's tension. Uh, and that and John, the uh, the older man, um, sits back and, and tries to take it in. I love it. I really do hope everybody will read Rise Up by Douglas L. It's available right now. In fact, if you ran out and got it right now, you can get it for free today. Um, but it's going to be available on Amazon or all the other places that you get books. Douglas, before I let you go. Hey, Steve, um, can I make one note? It's Rise Above, not Rise, rise Up. Yes, Rise Above. Yeah, it's sitting right here in front of me, and I read it wrong. Sorry, everybody. Rise Above. <laughs> um, thank you, Douglas. Um, before I let you go, though, just give us some words of encouragement. You've been through so much. You, you have so much information. Let us know how we can rise above in our own life. I think you have to be willing to see that there's a lot of lies everywhere. Uh, we live, we are fallen beings and we live in a fallen world. And 
I mean, you turn on the TV, you see lies, uh, you know, but we can rise above it. Uh, that's the point of the book. We don't have to be dragged into some, uh, you know, he who dies with the most toys mentality. Um, there's a lot of joy and a lot of beauty out there. And I think uh, we need to trust. And that's the basic meaning of faith. I love that. We'll do get Rise Above by Douglas L. today, available on Amazon. Douglas, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Thanks. Thanks so much for having us. Such great information. And I would challenge you to take a look at some of your most deeply held beliefs. And I would ask only one thing of you, not that you believe what I believe or what Douglas believes, but that you are open to conversation and willing to look for and find information so that you can know what you know, know why you know it, and show up powerfully as the best version of you. What a great way to live as a thriving entrepreneur when the stories that have defined the very essence of what you are and what you believe in life are things that can be challenged because you believe them, you've challenged them, and you've really truly looked at what that story means and how you can from there define the powerful journey that is your life and live as a thriving entrepreneur. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Steve Kidd. I am a third generation minister, an international best-selling author of multiple books, and I help people write, publish, and market their books to bestseller. In fact, there are literally thousands of people that have used the system that I created to be able to write, publish, and market their books, and now they're best-selling authors, and you're next. I just wanted to come on for a minute, say hi to you, tell you a little bit about me, introduce myself, and tell you I know the world is waiting on your message, and I would be so honored to be part of sharing your message with the world. Go to AskStevekid.com and schedule a time to talk today. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today as we talk about the story that defines the journey. So we went really deep and talked about some of the most deeply held beliefs in your life and the stories that are behind them. And I encourage you to take a look at how did those stories come about in your life? What do they mean to you? And uh, if they're strong and powerful stories, they can stand up to the challenges because they're real and true and they're based in facts and not just feelings and opinions. And I now encourage you, let's move forward. Let's talk about just a basic kind of story, just some travel. What are the stories you need to define so that you can have an amazing journey, even in something as simple as a trip? With that said, let's jump in to our next guest. Join me in welcoming Meredith Calloway. Hey, Meredith, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I am doing really good. Thank you. So to begin this off, tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. (laughs) 
Well, I am um, mom to five kids. We have a, bl I have a blended family now. Um, three, I birthed myself and two are bonus kids. Um, I love, love, love living in North Carolina. Um, I call myself a born again, North Carolinian. <laughs> I grew up in New Jersey. I was born in Chicago, but grew up in New Jersey and um, was the youngest of three kids. And now am a business owner um, running a travel agency out of Mooresville, North Carolina. And um, I love to travel. I love to ski. I love to run. And I enjoy entertaining and cooking. I'm very interested to learn uh, what is it like to be a travel agent in 2023? I mean, I remember back in the day when, you know, you called the travel agent and they wrote you out the plane tickets and all those kind of things. But what's it like these days? That's a great question. Um, so, yes, the agent has really morphed into an advisor and people, you know, we get the, the question all the time. I didn't know travel agency even still existed. And um, I like to say, well, actually, there's like a 2.0 version of the travel agent, which is really the travel advisor. And what they do is, especially our agency specializes in luxury travel. And so we offer an elevated experience for travelers looking to, um, you know, there's just so much online. Um, you can get lost in all kinds of rabbit holes and not really knowing what's what and what's accurate. Um, so today a travel advisor is an itinerary designer, but they're also a project manager. And then last but not least, they give you access to things that you may not be able to get access to on your own. Um, so recently I did a massive home renovation and it occurred to me that the travel advisor is analogous to um, both a, a general contractor when you're redoing a house, but also the designer who comes up with, you know, floor plan changes and the overall design of the renovation. Um, so they're doing both the design work as well as the project management work, which can be extensive when it comes to uh, complicated itineraries around the world. You said things that you can't get any other way. Now I'm intrigued. What kind of cool things yeah. could you find for us that we wouldn't be able to get on our own? It's upgrades. It's, it, it, we are, our agency um, is now members of multiple hotel elite programs. So Four Seasons, Belmont, Ritz-Carlton, um, Accor, which is Fairmont, um, a lot of, um, Orient, um, Mandarin Oriental, all of these hotel uh, chains or franchises have elevated access for their most frequent guests. So it's kind of like being able to get the highest status with an airline, um, but with a hotel. Um, so if you stay at a Four Seasons and it's booked by one of our advisors, you're going to get the highest treatment possible. Um, people talk about getting an, an a, a upgrade upon arrival. Ours is almost guaranteed if it's available. Um, you just get elevated to like top VIP status when you stay at one of those hotels. 
and we're a member of that hotel elite program. Credits, breakfast credits, um, late check-in, I'm sorry, early check-in, late check-out. Sometimes there's a airport transfer included, um, things like that. Now, can you give me these upgrades on airline tickets too, so that I could get upgraded from like business to first class? <laughs> yeah, the airlines don't work very well with the travel advisor community. Um, so yeah, that's, that's an air it's flying is just, um, you know, it's, it's a part of the travel experience and, um, yeah, we, we struggle with being able to, you know, the best way to get that kind of access is to actually be a frequent flyer. Do you, um, as a travel agent, do you also deal with like charter flights and things like that? Or um, how does a person even get those? Um, so let me um, first take a big step back. I personally am not a travel agent or a travel advisor. Um, my business is what is called a host agency. And so we have 28 employees here and we, none of us sell travel or book travel ourselves. Um, we are the um, umbrella and brand for independent contractors who want to sell luxury travel under our flag. And um, so what we do behind the scenes is we generate the relationships so that we give them that elevated access to things. We um, negotiate higher commissions for them. We do a lot of back office processing for them. And our, our claim to fame in the host agency space is that we, are, um, we, we have an incredibly robust professional development program for our independent contractors who are also solo entrepreneurs or not necessarily solo entrepreneur, but they're entrepreneurs and they may know how to book travel and sell travel and have been doing it for 25 years. Um, but running a business selling travel is also a whole nother egg to crack. <laughs> so we are not booking travel um, ourselves. We're not a B2C, we're a B2B. I love that. Um, I know back in the day, big companies, um, you know, I lived in the Portland area, so I'm thinking of like Nike and Intel, but, you know, you yep. could pretty much go to any city. They used to, um, you know, they used to employ travel agencies. And then most of those agencies went away because, you know, the internet came around and people could, they could hire somebody and have them do it in there. Are businesses mm -hmm. like that going back now to um, things like that. And that's part of why you're helping agencies build again, or, or what's causing that shift? Um, so what you're talking about is corporate travel versus leisure travel. Those um, yes. inside the industry, those are the two different terms we use. And um, the corporate travel sector is definitely the weakest link in terms of recovering from the pandemic. Um, you know, the pandemic completely crippled the travel industry and um but we stayed strong during the whole pandemic and we kept telling our advisors the comeback is going to be so much better than the setback right and and we really did believe we were going to have the greatest comeback of all time and we are absolutely seeing that now the our growth in in travel bookings 
is just unprecedented. And, but, but the growth is coming completely from laser and not nearly at all from corporate. I think there is some recovery finally happening on the corporate side. Um, but I would say that that model is reimagining itself. Um, so yes, we're seeing some recovery of corporate, but most, we have 330 advisors um, selling travel under our credentials. And I'd say 95% of them are selling leisure travel and booking leisure travel, and maybe 5% are doing corporate. So in addition to offering your credentials, which is actually pretty huge for people that don't understand that, um, do you have then training courses and stuff like that that you do so that people can you know, know what they're doing in the modern version of travel agencies? Absolutely, yes. So we believe that there are two things they need. They need to be a business owner, but they also need to be a travel agent, right? And, you know, we really started the business um, just over 10 years ago because we saw nobody else guiding the independent contractor selling travel on how to run a business selling travel. There are a lot of people helping them and assisting and giving all kinds of tools and resources for booking travel, but no one was really properly guiding them as a business coach. And that's what we were. We, you know, my my business partner, Jen Cochran, and I, myself, and our other co-founder, Vanessa McGovern, um, all three of us had been coaching travel advisors for five, six years prior to starting this host agency. And so that is our secret sauce. Our claim to fame is that in addition to being a host agency, we are also, we have a very robust professional development program. It's called Travel Business University. And so within Travel Business University, we have three real kind of like, you know, if you have a university that has four years, we have three. Um, and that it's not, and it's not a length of time. It's just a stage of where you are in your business. So we have the travel MBA program, which is for new to the industry people. It is a 12 month program, but we have people stay in it longer than 12 months. And we have people who graduate out even early. Um, but it's it's a, structured as a 12 month program to help someone who is brand new to the industry um, really get started and, and running pretty quickly um, selling luxury travel. And then we have, you know, the next phase of the business for is, is accelerate program. And then our last program is the top producers club. Um, and that's when they've kind of established themselves and are now selling at a point where they don't really need to grow their sales anymore. Um, and, and we like, they've achieved what we call entrepreneurial success which is they have freedom, they have fulfillment, and they have financial satisfaction at that point. I love it. Um, I know there's some people out there that would love to um, be in the travel industry, do those kind of things. What does it take for a person to work with you? Um, we, uh, we have an application for, and it's a very simple process for our travel MBA program. Um, you just have to uh, fill out the application, which is you'll find at giftedtravelnetwork.com. Um, and we'll do a free interview 
a complimentary interview where we decide, you know, tell you more about the program and is this a good fit? Um, and then and then we have an acceptance process as well. Um, but it's what does it take? I, I think a lot of people think, well, I love to travel, um, but in terms of selling luxury travel, I don't know anybody who has the kind of budget to book luxury travel. Don't I need, you know, a whole Rolodex of people? And the answer is no. It it's it's a combination of the right mindset, um, and that's what we equip you with in the Travel MBA program. It's not just a curriculum. It's not just you know the formula for how to be successful. We also equip you with the mindset. Um, and how to build what we call emotional emotional fitness um, to be successful. And then we also provide you with an incredible foundation for um, from which to soar. I love that. So uh, give us that URL again where people can go to apply. To apply um, is just go to giftedtravelnetwork.com. And, um, and if, if you're not ready to apply, we do have um, a kind of a fun little free offer right now that if they want to check that out, um, they just need to, oh, sorry, I had it up here a second ago and now I can't, um, it's travelbusiness.university backslash, um, I think it's Thrive. So um, but at a minimum, if they just go to giftedtravelnetwork.com, the application process is, starts there. Perfect. I love that. Well, before I let you go, uh, give us some words of encouragement as to why now would be a good time to go back into the luxury travel industry or, or go into it for the first time. So many reasons, but the growth in luxury travel consumption has been exceptional in the last year, year and a half. And the trends are just continuing to go up. Um, the kind of product um, that is getting innovated for by all of the luxury travel providers, um, including the luxury hotel lines, but the luxury cruise lines, there's new luxury cruise lines even coming out. There's all of the trends are showing that the, the growth is go only going to continue and it's just fun. I mean, it's, 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 it's sexy. It's an amazing, incredible, fun place to be. And you don't have to have luxury travel experience. You don't have to have consumed luxury travel yourself to be successful at selling luxury travel. You just have to have the right foundation, the right mindset and, and a, for, a winning formula, which we believe we offer at Gifted Travel Network. That is so amazing. Meredith, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Thanks for having me. Imagine what that journey that you see in your mind, how great it'll be when you know where you want to go and you have a great trip. I always think of Dr. Seuss's book, Oh, the Places You Will Go, with a head full of brains and shoes full of feet. You never know the people that you might meet. I just think that it's so awesome when you get to have that really wonderful trip. Um, you know, but again, the story defines the journey. If you're looking for someplace awful, be careful what you look for. You just might find it. 
But if you can imagine it, if you can see it in your mind first, then you have the ability to be able to build the foundation blocks and have just such an amazing, amazing journey. And all of it starts from the story that you allowed to define it. What a great way to live as a thriving entrepreneur. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Steve Kidd. I am a third generation minister, an international best-selling author of multiple books, and I help people write, publish, and market their books to bestseller. In fact, there are literally thousands of people that have used the system that I created to be able to write, publish, and market their books, and now they're best-selling authors, and you're next. I just wanted to come on for a minute, say hi to you, tell you a little bit about me, introduce myself, and tell you I know the world is waiting on your message, and I would be so honored to be part of sharing your message with the world. Go to AskStevekid.com and schedule a time to talk today. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. We're talking about the story that defines the journey. It's the things that we tell ourselves in our mind. It's the intentions that we create that allows us to define the journey we're going to take and then experience it to the fullest. That is one of the best secrets to really having a thriving and powerful life or even just a really amazing trip. We talked in the first segment about the deeper things, about the beliefs that you have, about your capability to be able to take your most hallowed beliefs and question them and find out the answers behind them so that you can live them powerfully. And then in the second segment, we talked about really great advice for taking a journey and having that trip be something just awesome and incredible for you, an actual real vacation that can allow you to be even greater than just a vacation from your problems, to quote from the line from the movie. And now we want to take one more look at that story that we're creating. What is a good story? Well, maybe you need some help learning how to define that perfect story so that you can define the story that is going to define your journey. And I've got a great guest to help you with that. With that, let's jump right in. Join me in welcoming Karen Ember. Hey, Karen, how are you doing today? I am well. How are you, Steve? I am doing so good. Tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. I am an author, a storyteller, and a keynote speaker. I work with companies on how they're building their leaders, teams, and culture one story at a time. And I love to be outdoors and uh, explore. So first, of course, tell us about your books that you've written. Tell me, tell me about your books. So I am publishing The Perfect Story. It comes out um, October 3rd, and it is meant to make storytelling accessible. It takes you through the science and some new science around storytelling in a different way. 
Um, because it shows you not only what's happening, but more importantly, what do you then put in the stories to make sure your brain is really engaged? And then it takes you through the process of how do you find ideas, build them, tailor them to your audience? How do you tell stories with data? Um, how do you navigate vulnerability and avoid manipulating with your stories? And there's some fun, uh, I call them little palette cleansers at the end of each chapter, these are brief interviews with people that tell stories in different ways from a physician to a video game writer to the TED Radio Hour podcast host or an executive producer of The Moth. You get to live in their perspective on storytelling for a little bit to see how different you can do it. I love that story, of course, is so um, you know, it's just so integral to who we are. It always amazes me how many people don't know how to tell stories. You know, I mean, it's just so inherent to me that it's like, oh yeah, there's some people that struggle with that, don't they? <laughs> I think it's because you see someone tell a really elegant story or compelling story and you think they just have this natural talent or skill. And what they don't see is all the work that went into refining it or figuring out their own habit it's a skill that you can learn and you can get better at. And it just requires understanding different steps that are going to have an impact. So uh, with all of the things that we could do, where is the best place to start? I mean, you've heard phrases like begin with the end in mind, tell your hero's journey, all those kind of things. What do you recommend for people to start telling their story? I recommend you start first with your audience. Even if you know the idea you want to tell, you always start with your audience because that is who you're intending to communicate with, who you're trying to inform, influence, persuade, make a decision. And the way you're going to tell a story is going to be different for each audience you speak to. So stories actually begin there with the audience. What is it that you want them to, to feel or experience as a result of the story? Or what do you want them to do after? What is their current mindset and what might be an obstacle? Only until you get grounded on those things, you can't know how to structure your story and what to do. So I find getting clear on that gives you the foundation for what you're trying to do with your story. And then from there, um, there are a bunch of models out there like the hero's journey. I find that people in business struggle with them a little bit because they have a very prescriptive set of steps. And the hero's journey in particular has, I think, like 17 different steps and someone trying to prepare for a meeting can't quite figure out how to make their story fit into that structure and then they abandon it. And I feel like you can just use a really basic structure to get your, your story structure going and play with different pieces versus use one formulaic approach that's always going to be the same each time. I was in a discussion not that long ago with somebody and... I was talking about the, you know, the, just the really, really basic concept of a book, you know, first we got to get engaged into the book, you know, I mean, if the beginning of the book isn't interesting, we're not going to, you know, read to the end of it to hope it gets interesting. You know, the only books we do that with are books that, you know, were required reading in school. You know? <laughs> um, well, there's a reason for that because I like to to describe it as your brain is lazy. I had a, a neuroscientist once say to me, Dr. Paul Zach, he said, you are either going to listen or read, you know, engage with a story, or you're going to go watch cat videos. And neurologically, 
our brain is using the most calories out of any organ in our body. And it's using those calories to keep you alive, but also to make these predictions that allow you to move your body or what you have to do to, to stand up and get out of a chair. And that means your brain always wants to be like the stingiest banker and have this surplus of calories because running out would be really bad. And that means the brain looks for these moments where it can kind of dip out. That's why a movie or a book might not be so engaging or in a work setting, maybe someone's giving a talk and your brain drifts off. It's not just that, you know, you're not paying attention. It's that the brain craves these moments where it can conserve calories. And so to make a story really compelling, you have to think, how do I make the brain spend calories? How do I make sure they're not getting in lazy mode? And there's so many different ways to do that from the way you structure the story to unexpected details and events you put in it to, to even um, how you're engaging senses. Those little things you start to play with make a difference in the experience of the story. I love that. Although I have to admit, I immediately flashed to a conversation I know I'm going to now have with my best friend about creating an entire series of books intended to allow people to completely shut off their brain and not even remember what they read. <laughs> well, we do this, right? If you think about a day where you've had a day and you come home or you're at home and you get settled and your first thought is like, I don't want to think. So you put on the show that you've binged before, the movie that you've seen, like we all have our, our comforts that we go to. It's this mental, like, I don't want to think, I want familiarity. I want my brain to conserve some calories. Like when you have those days, that's what's happening. You want to, your brain wants to restore. And so we naturally do this. And, you know, some, some books and movies lend us to doing it even more so too. Well, and I think most of the ones that I'm thinking of as you're saying that are ones that were good and engaging. They're just familiar. And you can, I remember back when my, one of my youngest daughters was little, she could fall asleep during Cinderella and wake up on cue when uh, Cinderella calls uh, Lucifer, uh, your majesty, you know, and she could literally, she'd be sound asleep and she'd wake up and go, you majesty. And then fall back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, you know, but uh, I don't think any of us really want to write the book that is just so boring that people are like, this book was so boring. I couldn't tell you anything about it. <laughs> no, but this is the tricky part because if you tell a story, let's say I tell you a story and I say, well, Steve, what do you think? You'd probably say it was good. I liked it. And there's nothing specific enough in it to know how are you really connecting with it? Um, there's been some fascinating research in neuroscience where there is at the moment of engagement, there's this increase in oxytocin and dopamine. So you get this neurochemical cocktail increase that's happening um, that not only increases engagement, it increases empathy and in how you feel towards the storyteller, which leads to an increase in trust. So there are ways to actually measure through smartwatches and wearable devices. There's ways to measure these, these specific moments of when our brain is immersed in something, when it's really engaged, which is so different than the, it was good. Oh, yeah, I love that. That's it. From now on, everybody, when you sell your book, you also need to sell it with a smartwatch and an app <laughs> so that you can see just how engaged with your book people are. That would actually probably be a pretty cool marketing technique, really. <laughs> it, there are companies that do this so commercials can run tests to see 
which version of this commercial is most likely to lead to a sale? Can we predict with what accuracy that this is working? Or if we tweak this, what can we see? So they're able to take the Super Bowl, right? Huge investment in a commercial. They could run A and B tests to see which one are these test groups responding to more neurologically. So then we can build them out and, and figure out what the right one is to go with. And you take that and you change it for movie trailers or leaders that are maybe giving a talk, like anything that is trying to take someone and, and move them along and make a choice or, or um, perhaps persuade their thinking, you can actually measure how effective you are in this, which can save you so much time, effort, and money. Which brings us right back to books because you said movie trailers and we know statistically that over 50% of all movies that get made are based off of best-selling books. Over 80% of them that win awards are based off of bestsellers. So now every time when you see a movie trailer, you're going to catch that it says based on the critically acclaimed book by or based on the best-selling book. <laughs> they do that on purpose for just the reason you were saying, Karen, I love that. So let's talk about for a little bit about your company though, about company culture what are some ways that we can use these same kind of things that you and I have been geeking out about to help advance the culture of a, of a person's company? So the stories that you tell in work, the, um, the best leader or what great teams do or sharing mistakes and having a discussion about lessons learned, they send the signal to the individuals in the organization that are here are the behaviors that we want to encourage and reinforce or the behaviors that we want to discourage. Stories are the lived experience of your culture and they're far more dynamic and meaningful than just the values that hang on the wall. So any leader and team can get into this habit of having a regular cadence where they are stopping and talking about, hey, what, what are some examples of things that have gone well for us and why? Let's share those stories. What are some wins that we want to talk about and highlight? Um, let's talk about our mistakes what is, you know, what's a mistake that someone made and how can we all learn from that? What can we do different? And so these seem like these micro stories that won't matter, but they make a huge difference. You take it on a team and, and you think of uh, a team retreat or an offsite where you're stepping back to maybe strategically plan for the year. And there is a chance to tell stories that help us learn more about each other's work experience or maybe specific projects that we're on. And this exchange creates more empathy in each other, which makes us more relatable, increases trust across the team. And so it's a skill that is not only just going to be entertaining and interesting, it actually leads to an increase in trust and stronger performance and all of those things. And I'm talking really specifically at the team level because culture is what we experience day to day on the team. People tend to think of it as what the CEO describes on stage or what's on the website, but that is so far removed. What culture is, is when a friend says to you, what's it like to work there? It's how you respond to that. So we have the ability to shape culture each day by sharing these stories and encouraging or discouraging what we want to see demonstrated. Oh, I love that. Um, so for the person who would love to apply some of these things to their business, uh, tell us a little bit about what you do for people and how they can work with you. I own Eber Leadership Group, and we work with companies that are looking to think how they're building their teams, their leaders or culture differently. I, I always talk about it as reimagining and 
rethinking because so much of what we do in work is just habit and status quo. And there's an opportunity to step back and really think about how to evolve this and make sure that the teams and organizations are set up for the future. And so the company works in a variety of ways to help people build leaders and to, to shape culture in intentional ways that are going to be supportive. Um, and we do a lot of storytelling workshops, helping people learn how to be memorable and effective communicators by learning both the science and how to apply it and coming up with their own toolkit of stories that they can be memorable communicators with. I love that. And give us uh, your URL or the best way to contact you. My name is the URL of the website, which is K-A-R-E-N-E-B-E-R.com. Two things to check out. There is information on the book, The Perfect Story. Um, there's also a brain food section. This is my blog where I regularly share stories and tools around leadership, teaming, culture, and storytelling. And so there's a bunch of different ones in there to sort through and, and see what's interesting. I love that. Well, Karen, that is really cool stuff. And I really appreciate you spending some time here on the show with us today. Thank you for having me. The science behind storytelling, the art form that it is to create a story, to know a story, to tell a story. Um, it's something that we as humans have been doing throughout all of our recorded and um, you know oral history uh, is telling those stories and passing on our culture through stories. And that's as true in your own personal life as it is in the raising of your children, the creation and the foundation elements of your business. All of those things have a story. And it's the story that defines that journey. I hope that you will take the advice from Karen and define a story, the perfect story for you, that defines the perfect journey for you. Because you know what? You are uniquely brilliant. You were created for a purpose. And the world needs you. That's right. We need you. Not just because, you know, hey, there's an imbalance between carbon dioxide and oxygen and we need you to inhale and exhale more to help out with the balance. Oh, no. There's so much more, so much better for you in your life. Maybe you know your purpose. Maybe you're still searching for it. By the way, I have a really great tool that will help you with that. Feel free to reach out to me. You know that AskSteveKid.com that you keep hearing about. Um, and I would love to help you define your purpose if you don't know. But there is most definitely one for you. And I want you to know it, feel it, have a story that defines it, and then live in it every day. As you live every day of your life as a thriving entrepreneur. Until we're together again next time, I hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. Hi, my name is Steve Kidd. I am a third-generation minister, an international best-selling author of multiple books, and I help people write publish and market their books to bestseller. In fact, there are literally thousands of people that have used the system that I created 
to be able to write, publish, and market their books, and now they're best-selling authors, and you're next. I just wanted to come on for a minute, say hi to you, tell you a little bit about me, introduce myself, and tell you, I know the world is waiting on your message, and I would be so honored to be part of sharing your message with the world. Go to AskStevekid.com and schedule a time to talk today. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.